Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Three, two, one. Hello, everybody. It's Ben Jarofsky. It's bonus time on the Ben Jarofsky Show. Got a great guest sitting right across the table for me, ready to bring him on and have an interesting conversation about politics and all the good stuff of the day. But before we do that, D, tell folks who we have to thank for bringing us this show. This Benny J bonus interview is brought to you by the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, and of course, our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. All right. Thank you very much, Dee. And now, uh, just to tell everybody, this interview is being conducted September 3rd, uh, Tuesday, September 3rd. But of course, you can hear it any good time uh, because it's being uh, uh, downloaded to a podcast. And now, bonus guest, introduce yourself. I'm Clint Chrislov. I'm Chrislov and Associates. Um, I'm a lawyer, and we have cases against the city over pensions, health care, parking meters. Um, we're, we do class actions and root out injustice wherever it lurks. All right. And I should say this before we take the, uh, the deep dive into some of the issues. Clint Chrislov uh, is uh, a master cr- class action lawyer. I should be rooting against him. Because he's always suing the city, or many times he's suing the city on parts of class action, many plaintiffs. And, uh, and I, as the taxpayer, ultimately am the one who has to pay uh, for these lawsuits. But more often than not, Clint Krislov, I'm agreeing with your lawsuit. Well, you know, like, in, in fact, if, yeah. they'd have, if, if the courts had stayed with us back when we brought the Sklodowski case, which would have forced the state to make its required minimum annual contributions to the state-funded retirement systems, those funds would be fully funded now. All right, we're going to get into pensions. I'm writing down, uh, there's a number of cases I want to talk to you about, uh, and uh, one, uh, we've got to do pensions then. Uh, there's the current most recent uh, case, which has to do with the quote-unquote interest-free loans. We'll get to that. Uh, and then there's the pensions case. But let's talk parking meter. Uh, Clint Krisloff was representing IVI IPO, Independent Voters of Illinois, uh, when they sued the city after that. Wretched. And I cannot underscore it enough, Clint, how wretched that parking meter deal was that Mayor Daley, in his infinite wisdom, got the city council to sign on to. So let's talk about the suit that you filed. Okay. Uh, just give us a little history on it. We, um, we brought it on behalf, of, on behalf of taxpayers. It was essentially challenging what is a payday loan to municipalities. And the privatization guys came in, and this was the current Wall Street Roadshow, and said, look, you need a billion dollars. We can get you a billion dollars. You just have to sign over this lease. You just have to sign over the parking meter system for 75 years. And as it turns out, and, and oh, and by the way, and if... While we get to keep the revenues, the privatization people, and we'll pay you $1.16 billion up front, um, 
for the next 75 years, we get all the revenue from the parking meter system. Uh, and, you know, if you want to impinge on that in any way, shape, or form, like if you want to open up... If you want to open up a competing parking meter system, you'll have to compensate us. If you want to close down a street for a street fair, you got to compensate us. You want to close down a street to replace the pipes in the in the middle of the street, you got to compensate us. And as it turned out, uh, the parking meter deal was value was way undervalued. Oh, yeah. It was certainly when it was first done, it was probably worth three times what it was sold for. The revenues have been. 20% above the highest estimation possible. And the fact of the matter is it was valued without a valid basis for doing it. And the result is that not only does the CPM group get the revenues from it, mm-hmm. but the city has to compensate the parking meter system for every time it takes a space out of the system to clean the street, have a parade, have a street fair, fix the pipes, you name it. And those adjustments over the years will return the entire $1.16 billion to um, that CPM paid in the beginning. And that doesn't even include the hundreds of millions of dollars, the billions of dollars that will go in CPM's pockets. Absolutely. It was a terrible deal. And, and the payday loan uh, metaphor is very apt because essentially that's exactly what this was. The city borrowed a billion, a little more than a billion uh, from this consortium of investors. And in return, the consortium of investors were given the rights to all the parking meter uh, revenue for 75 years with all these protections locked in to protect uh, their fiduciary interests. I don't know who was looking out for the fiduciary interests of tax payers the city of chicago i know it wasn't the alderman who voted for the deal nor the mayor who imposed it and i believe it was 2008 uh m- memory is fuzzy here whether it's, i think it was 2008 it passed the city council uh and so we're now heading into year 11 and every year uh fran spielman for the chicago sun times is sort of brutal update on how much money uh the the, the uh the, the lenders have received and i i think the last article clint said something along the lines that they're almost whole now they're almost whole. yes they've, they've gotten back the they've, billion they've, they've gotten us, back the 1.16 which means they got 65 years left of parking meter revenue now folks i'm going to just tell you this right now every time you put money in meters all right. It's not going to support the Chicago public schools. It's not going to pay for the police, the fire, things that you want and need, which it could be if we own them. No, could it's be. going to these right. creditors who lent us the money. It was the worst deal in my lifetime, I want to say. And there's been some bad deals. And like, it'll exceed your lifetime. Oh, yeah. Unless we, I actually, live for 65 we, years. we actually figured out that if if the city had just done this on a normal financing where the city had paid Laz parking to do it itself. It would cost $35 million to put the system in place that we have now. And then the city could have sold a bond off for 20 years, um, borrowed the billion dollars directly and then refinanced it. Every time the deal turned out to produce more revenues, it really, it, it's just, it was now, a terrible deal. Clint, Mick Dumpke and I, my good friend Mick Dumpke, we uh, spent a lot of time at the uh, when, at the Reader looking into this. We did not find any evidence whatsoever 
that anybody in the city of Chicago did anything remotely resembling like an analysis of this deal to see the cost benefits to the taxpayers. Nobody, there was no alternative theory like along the lines, would you say, hey folks, you want to update our system, our parking meter system by putting these new uh, highfalutin computers in? You could do it for $35 million and then you could pay off a loan, uh, but with the revenue and then in 20 years you have the whole thing. Nobody did, there was nobody looking out. The only valuation that was done was a William Blair valuation that turned out to be obviously way low. Way low. I saw that and evaluation. And it's really because it, there there was no, this new system that we have, somebody could have done a pilot program, figured out what it might likely produce. That's where privatizations actually work sort of okay when they work, is when you know what the stable state of the revenue is. Mm-hmm. If you don't know the revenue that it's going to produce, you have no basis okay. for valuing it or for doing the sale. And in Nashville, we I um, got interviewed by their TV station about it, and they, after that, they deferred putting in the system, and their deal they thought was premised on the bad things that had happened in Chicago. All right, Clint, so you filed the lawsuit in, I think, 2009. Uh, what was the legal argument that you raised? The argument was that the city could not sell the right of way to a third party. That this was the public way. You can't encumber the. You can't sell off the. You just can't sell off the public way. It was a little different with the garages deal, which was similarly um, a terrible deal, but in its own right, it was it was differently bad because the garages deal had a sort of non-compete that said if the city allowed a public garage to open within the defined area, which is like anything east of Wells to Mm -hmm. the lake, um, that the city would have to compensate the, the Millennium Park garages people for whatever impact immediately in the whole amount. And when the Aqua building opened up north of Millennium Park with a 1,200 car public garage, the Millennium Park Garage's people said, we want our money, and we, we want, want $250 million. And the city was lucky to have gotten out paying them only, I think they wound up paying them $65 million. Only quotes. All right, let's go back to the parking meter deal. So the park, So you argue that the city did not have the right to, uh, to sell the right of way. And uh, how the city, uh, what was their response to your argument, your legal argument? The city took the side of the Wall Street people saying that they had the right to, it wasn't really a sale, it was a lease. They said that um, it really didn't, I mean, we thought it was like, if you converted public parking, uh, or if you sold it to, to Macy's or Marshall Fields and had the police enforcing their parking regulations on, on what's now private property, mm-hmm. that that's, the, that's an improper use of the police powers. Um, the court sort of rejected most of it, but mostly saying basically if the city is for it, how can we well, be that, okay, to Did it? they do the old standing argument that you don't have quote unquote standing? Oh yeah, no, yeah. They, they, they defended against saying we don't have standing. I mean, that, that's typically what happens. In the parking meter case, they, they recognized that we had standing for a taxpayer case, but they still went along with the city. Uh, they being the judge. 
Yes. When you say they went they, along the city. Yes. Okay. Um, See, this is happening right now in real time. Uh, and I don't want to get too much on a tangent here, but there is a TIF district uh, that was passed uh, by the city council in the last session under Mayor Rahm, a TIF deal to, for uh, the construction of Lincoln Yards, uh, which is an upscale development. Follow me on this one, Clint, because it's relative to, uh, relates to your story. Uh, and immediately, some public interest groups filed suit challenging that uh, TIF agreement on the grounds that they thought it was racially discriminatory. The city, the city of Chicago, lawyers for the city of Chicago are in court right now fighting that lawsuit on the grounds that the plaintiffs do not have standing. <laughs> they do not have standing to fight a deal that is increasing their property taxes. I, I don't know how this works, Clint, but uh, so it's a, it's a, it's a typical argument that the city will counter plaintiffs with. They'll try to say, you don't have standing. It's like, you don't right. have the authority. How is that possible, uh, Clint, that the city could argue that plaintiffs don't have standing to challenge an action that increases our, part, our, our tax burden? Illinois has some basis for going forward on these. Taxpayer standing, because the money that's in the city treasury is regarded as held in trust. It's our money held in trust. And so a taxpayer action to enjoin the illegal expenditure of that money has absolute standing. I mean, the city may throw out standing. They're, they're different. You can get into it. It'll sound like, like we're in 1066 with the, the, the old <laughs> common law pleading writs. Yeah. And to a great extent, it, it gets to be very technical. But it's just another bunch of obstacles to throw in That's the way correct. of people challenging the legality of this stuff. And the TIF thing is a problem because you'd say, look, you may want your property taxes not to go up understandably, and you may want us to spend it carefully, but the way TIFs work is we take the property in an area and we say that any increased value in the property we can use in whatever other way we want. Yes. And so we can give the benefit to these new guys that we want to come in and we can use whatever increase comes from that in whatever way we want unaffecting the rest of the, the expenditure. So the cities, I mean, that's what Tom Tresser, I think, has. He, he has a thing called the city ain't really broke. Yeah. And the fact is the city makes itself look broke because it freezes the amount that's available to spend normally, but yes. that you what you have in a TIF fund is essentially a slush fund that they feel they can use whatever way they want. I don't want. know, or never heard of TIFs, but I do not know. We have a cap on the amount uh, the city of Chicago can raise in any given year on property taxes. It's supposed to protect the interests of taxpayers. There's a limit they can uh, raise. A TIF enables the city to blow past the cap. So I do not know how this is legal under any, and if you, I've said this to lawyers and the lawyers come back to me and they go, Ben, you don't have standing to sue. Then I go, well, then we have no rights. If you cannot challenge, if you cannot challenge your city when it is lying to you about how they're spending your tax dollars and how much you're paying in tax dollars and how they're circumventing the law that's intended to protect you from tax hikes, then we have no rights. Uh, We are, might as well live in a monarchy in the city of Chicago. Chicago. And that's how I view it. That's fair. I think the the worst thing about TIFs, though, is that it creates 
It creates a slush fund, and it it creates a. Um, it's like a two-segment society. We have new money that we generate, and you have to pay too, because you know the fact that stuff's in a TIF district. You know, we we raise the property taxes, and the TIF district we just use without regard to. You know, if, if like we have health coverage that we need to pay for mm-hmm. and the regular property taxes are capped, but the TIF cap, the TIF incremental increase in our regular property values mm-hmm. isn't capped. Yes. And so it, I think that if you looked at it in the other way, which is to say, look, we get these TIF, we get these benefits from new investment. But we use them to fully fund what we're supposed to be doing in the city yeah. rather than giving them away to people we like or whatever. You know, a fully funded city is a very attractive. I mean, Chicago, people have always had to come through here or want to come through here. And if the money was used appropriately, a fully funded Chicago is, uh, you know, if, if it weren't for the weather, We'd have to be trying to discourage tourism in the influx. All right. Let's go back to the parking meter. Okay. Uh, this one is a beautiful thing uh, in, in, in just it gets me going to still 10 years later. Uh, so you filed the suit. Uh, the city uh, was in court spending dollars with lawyers uh, who are essentially uh supporting the deal, fighting you. And meanwhile, we shifted from one mayor to the next. So Mayor Daly stepped down, Mayor Rahm got elected, and Mayor Rahm cut a deal, cut a, right. re, cut a new deal with the parking meter company, changed a little bit here and there, uh, and then had the city council ratify the deal, proclaim that it was actually a better deal than the original, although I would argue that it wasn't, but that's beside the point. What they really did was cut you off at the knees. Well, and it was sort of worse than that, because we really, we begged them to help us in this, to, to join our side, and we told the city council they really shouldn't approve it, because all that it was doing was be, when the city found out that it had uh, that it had to make these compensation payments, what they did was they said, okay, to offset our having to make these compensation payments, you can have more spots, you can have more hours, you can have more days. Basically, you can charge people more to park to offset that amount. Mm -hmm. And so that the city doesn't have to pay it. Only the people that park cars in the city Mm -hmm. have to pay it. And so, you know, most of those are city residents, but whatever. So they wound up paying more for their parking for more time. I mean, it wound up producing 10 times the revenues. Um, The original deal produced 10 times the revenues that the city had previously produced in the past. And on this deal, when they made the adjustment, it turned out after the fact that the yearly adjustments are still at about, I think, the $35 million a year level, which if you multiply that by 50, which is not even the, the, there's more than that remaining, you still get the city paying back the $1.16 billion again. Yeah, but my recollection, and correct me if I'm wrong, because it's been a while, is that the judge effectively said to you and your, and, and your clients, the plaintiffs, I don't know, the city ratified this once, 
and now they ratified it again. That's twice the city has ratified this parking meter deal. How can you possibly come to court and say you're representing the best interests of people in the city of Chicago when the city council has twice ratified this deal? And I think that the judge felt that if the city had challenged the deal, he would have might have gone the other way. You know, you can't predict for fully, but but the next administration could easily have come in and said, look, this is not a valid deal. I mean, our view was you could get this deal declared invalid and cancel it and not have to compensate CPM. The, the parking meter company, yeah. Right. And uh, at the very least, that would have forced the Chicago parking meter deal, uh, Chicago parking meter company, to renegotiate the deal. Right. If they're facing the, the prospect that they, the whole thing may be knocked down. Right. At that point, a, a decent deal might have been. And other cities have done this, but they've learned from these problems. Indianapolis did it so that it is a partner, it is really a partnership. So that up to a certain point, the revenues are split like 70, 30 mm-hmm. for the parking meter co- for the meter company. And at some crossover point in revenue, they get switched to like 90, 10 for Indianapolis or 60, 40. But, but that way, any increased revenues that you don't know, you don't expect, go to both parties. So what, what ultimately happened to the lawsuit? Did the judge dismiss it or did it, what, what happened? He dismissed the inter judgment against us we appealed it they acknowledged that we had that these were important cases to bring and they um but they still affirmed basically since the city was on the other side since they were supporting the deal yeah um the the appellate court went along with it and the like my memory said the appellate court essentially said the city ratified this deal twice you have no standing right well, they, I don't know that they, they didn't say we had no standing. Okay. They seem to acknowledge that we had standing. Um, and unfortunately, the Supreme Court chose not to take the case, which is unfortunate. You know, sometimes we need a Supreme Court that's willing to, to apply the law yeah. and enforce it as it's written. And so as a result of all this, uh, when folks, when you pay those meters, you're it's going to someone far removed from the city of Chicago instead of uh, supporting your government uh, when you pay the meters and paying for services that you want. And, you know, and the irony is in the first of the privatization deals, the Skyway deal, mm-hmm. yeah, which was sold for a billion dollars or so, it's it has turned over since then. Yeah. And the buyer who invested an additional billion or so in the deal profit that doesn't go to the city it goes to the original people that privatized the skyway a bunch of canadian pension funds so that our skyway is going to fund canadian pensions because our skyway is such a reliable revenue producer it's the most i think it's the most expensive half a mile toll road in the country but whatever no Um, clint i'm gonna tell you this Go back to that, the point you're making. I remember there was a TIF deal downtown Chicago. Uh, the city was subsidizing some building with TIF dollars, pro- your property tax dollars, Chicago. And one of the owners, follow me on this, uh, one of the investors was a teacher's union pension fund, I believe in California. Don't quote me on it, but I think it was California. And I remember writing, 
Because again, the TIF, mo- TIF money is diverted from the Chicago public schools. So I said, you got to go all the way to California before you can find a teacher or a school that it's benefits from Chicago's TIF fund. And that is exactly how it happens, man. And that is, I could go on and on about how insane that is where <laughs> California's pensions fund is. Uh, benefiting from a scam in the city of Chicago that is hurting Chicago's teachers' pension funds. If these pension funds ever got together, Clint, and just looked out for what their mutual best interests are, this wouldn't happen. But instead, it's like, you know, wolves in the jungle, in the the forest, fighting over scraps for their own survival. Well, and and we have examples of of pension funds here investing in local deals with relatives of of the former mayor um and the deals they turned out to be crummy real estate deals that were worthless in the end which is really it it's terrible all right now just so i understand this so you didn't get any money for that right because uh your money as a lawyer would have only happened you would have only received money had you succeeded. Right. So this is a case where you lawyer, you sort of invest your time in yep. the hope that there's a payout uh, down the road. Well, time and our, you know, we pay people. We pay people who work for us. Maybe not me much, but, uh, you know, we pay them. I don't get paid until, unless until there's something that comes in. And, and that, unfortunately, you know, but don't focus on me because the people who really suffered from the parking meter deal are the people of Chicago. Yeah, me. <laughs> feel sorry for myself right now my property tax bill uh is inflated in part because uh we cannot rely on that money uh from those parking meters all right and uh, so let's move to the pension uh battle and oh my god where do we start talk about uh your various pension suits okay so the first pension case that we had was a guy calling me up from a big firm the friend of mine was working there and he said you know the city is late in, in paying over its pension contributions to the pension funds. Mm-hmm. And there are people that would like to see it speeded up, but our firm doesn't want to have anything to do with it because we want to have our clients be able to get building permits and stuff <laughs> like that. And, you know, retribution under the Byrne administration was was certain, if not swift. Well, this goes back to the early 80s, Jane yes. Byrne, mayor of the city yes. of Chicago. So this was in 83. Okay. So... This guy who called me said, he must you know, have been 21 years old, Clint, 1983. Yeah, yeah closer, <laughs> okay. closer to 21 than I am now. Okay. Anyway, so he said, and, and they said that all the other firms that they had talked to felt the same way, that they didn't want to have anything to do with it. But Clint, I thought of you, because you're like a former tax lawyer and you uh, have, you're not from here. And so... You know, and you don't have any city business, and you have no chance of ever getting any city business, so you have nothing to lose, and maybe you'd want to take a look. So anyway, so um, the next thing, I, I said I'd take a look at it, and a guy named Martin Ryan, who was a retired Chicago policeman, shows up on my doorstep with a $60 filing fee, and we sue the city for what we think the city is late in. in we think the city is, is in the same trouble that Cleveland and New York may be, in at the time that you know you're you can't afford to pay peter so you you use the money from paul and you move things around and anyway during my deposition of the city comptroller he looked at me like i'm an idiot Mm -hmm. um and he said you know we're excellent money managers and i said well what did you why did you delay the money he said well we just 
thought we could use it as our own, and so we did. And what'd you do with it? Well, we invested overnight at the uh, Continental Bank. And in those days, I mean, interest rates were like what we think of as credit card rates. Now they were like prime rate, I think it hit as, as high as the 20s. Anyway, so um, I said, so the city's money like rust is always at work? And he said, absolutely. You know, every once in a while you get a good line. Anyway, so um, with that, we eventually were able, it took like seven years to force the sin and at least one trip to the court of appeals to force the city to make good for the earnings that the pension funds would have gotten had the money been paid over timely and invested as the pension funds were then starting to do in the market rather than in city of chicago bonds that whatever anyway so that turned out eventually to be a great case and then under the Washington administration, um, they came up with what they thought was a game plan that they would offset this liability that they would owe the pension funds for the the delayed interest, um, and they concocted they they concocted this idea that we don't have to pay for health care for these people, even though the health care for retirees, health care for retirees, and at the time. If you worked for the city, if if you started your work for the city before April 1 of 1986 is the key date under federal law, none of your quarters qualify you for the federal Medicare program. So anyway, so the city, the city went to the trustees and said, you know, if you'll forget about this goofy Chris Love Ryan case, maybe, you know, if you don't forget about it, maybe we'll we'll take away the health care. And the trustees said, you know, we can't do one against the other. Chris Love will sue us for that. And I, I, I love it. Sometimes it's fun reading your name in, in emails and minutes and stuff. But anyway, so the trustees said, we're not going to go for a deal like that. And so the city sued for a declaration that it didn't owe, that it didn't, wasn't obligated to provide health care coverage. And the trustees then said, look, the statute requires us, the trustees, the funds, to provide coverage to these people because they don't get Medicare. And the city had pre-retirement seminars. They made it clear to everybody that, that you would have this coverage in your retirement for life because you couldn't get Medicare. Yeah. So in any event, uh, the city then sued for a declaration. This is the... Korshak case, which it was City versus Korshak, because he happened to be the first of the the named trustees at the time. Marshall Korshak. Marshall Korshak. He was a committeeman, for, I want to say, from the Fifth Ward. Could uh, be. Hyde Park, it, yeah. It, um, but he was definitely a committeeman. He was... Um, and for 10 trivia points, who was his brother? Sidney. Very good, Sidney. <laughs> That's a really good book. If you, I, I give you a copy if you haven't read it Which yet. one's... Uh, Russo's Supermob. Oh, yeah, Sidney Korshak. All right, we're in a tangent within a tangent, but just so you youngsters out there, and probably some of you oldsters too, Sidney Korshak was known as sort of like the mob's lawyer, if I may put it. And he was the, he was like the lawyer's lawyer. He didn't bother going in the court lawyer, lawyer. He'd get on phone was, and make deals. And According to the book, he was like the consummate broker for most important things that occurred in the United States of America yeah. between World War II 
and his death. But right. that's another topic. That's another story. And anybody who wants to read more about him, Robert Evans, the kid stays in the picture. Robert Evans, big-time Hollywood producer, talks so much about Sidney Korshak's role uh, in Hollywood with Teamsters Union money, all this kind of thing. What, what was the old boy's name in The, uh, in the Godfather? Pacino. Uh, no, no. Duval, the lawyer. What's it called? Oh, Robert Duval. Uh, whatever they call the lawyer in the family. That's what uh, Sidney right. Korshak was. All right, we've gone too okay. far afield. His brother, Marshall, was... Marshall a, was one of the trustees. Mm-hmm. He was trustee of the police fund. Okay. And the trustees then took the position, the statute requires us to provide coverage for our retirees. Right. And we did that by contracting with the city as the insurer. And so the Korshak case went to trial before Judge Green in 1986. Wow. No, it was summer of 88. Okay. Because that'll put it in the right time frame. In the summer of 88, we had like a two or three week trial, and the judge took, and, and the testimony was very clear that the trustees said, we have the obligation. We contracted with the city. The city's obligated to provide it. We have to subsidize it, but the city has to pass a tax to subsidize that. Anyway, and so it went to Judge Green, and before he came out with his decision, the city and the trustees cut a deal over our objection for all the trustees, uh, for sorry, for all the annuitants, and that allocated... Um, Healthcare costs between the city, the pension funds, and the retirees for 10 years. And the judge approved it over our objection, saying that, look, if they don't get a permanent resolution for this by the end of the settlement, you can revive the case. And so, not surprisingly, 1997 comes and goes. And so we moved to revive the case. Judge Green said, well, that's all the permanence you get. The appellate court said permanent means permanent. He revived the case. And we went back in. And then eventually we negotiated a deal in 2003, which carried through to 2013. Now, as 2000... And so the deal that you carved out to carry to 2013 essentially... Uh, made the city pay at least 55 percent of the of the true health care costs it had the the funds subsidizing it 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 varied depending on your medicare status but it was i believe it started out as 55 and 85 and became 65 dollars and 95 dollars so that the annuitants share of this was a, a reasonable you know, it could be anywhere from less than a hundred to a f- couple hundred. A anyway, year. a year. Okay. No, sorry, a month. A month. Okay, yeah. And then, in the course of that, we discovered that the city, that the way that the city was projecting the premiums, mm-hmm. um, overestimated the the company. Um, I'll think of the name in a second, but they would calculate premiums based on their projection of what the costs would be. Mm-hmm. Only it turned out that those projections always way overshot the actual experience. And so then in 19, might be 2008, mm-hmm. we started having a, um, a reconciliation 
procedure that two years after the fact, an auditor would go in and, and figure out what the premium should have been based on the 55, 45, 65, 95, blah, blah, anyway. And the result was an average of $5 million in refunds every year for the retirees for their overcharged premiums. So that's how much the city had to uh, refund. Yes. Okay, $5 million or so a year. A year. So that totaled, that totaled over $50 million in just the reconciliation corrections. Mm-hmm. Um, this is why I started off by saying uh, Clint's lawsuits are not always helping my bottom line because I'm a taxpayer getting charged $50 million a year because the city didn't make good on its promise. A promise it would go back, maybe shouldn't have made it in the first place to pay for health care uh, for retirees as opposed to... Uh, you know, you can, say, you can say that, but you really want... I mean, when you promise people who work for the city, you want them to work hard. You want them to give you a full day's pay. You yeah. want them to, to do their job. And they should be able to rely on the city's promise that in exchange for you doing the job, here's what you will get. You will get this salary. You will get overtime on a certain basis. And you will have these benefits. I mean, cities don't they don't make cars and pencils. They provide services for the most part. So you say, geez, you know, if we're paying all these people, why should we pay all these people this stuff? You know, the fact of the matter is most of the city's services are provided by people. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, paying them what you promised them is just the I honest would, way of working. I would put it this way. I would say that the retirees would have been better off from the get-go, had the city not made a promise it didn't intend to keep, but, and if the retirees went into Medicare. Medicare is for uh, everybody. As such, it's, Donald Trump will be eligible for Medicare, correct? Sure. Okay. Uh, 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 Bill uh, Gates will be eligible for Medicare, correct? Well, and the, sure, because he, he worked for at least 40 quarters okay. for a private employer. J.B. Pritzker will be eligible. Okay. Point is, if everybody's uh, eligible for Medicare... Rich people, too, not going to get rid of it. Why? Because it's a benefit. Nobody gives up a benefit. So if you take the city workers out of the Medicare system and put them in their separate system, they're isolated from everybody else. Therefore, they're more vulnerable. And so the city could say, you know what? This is becoming, this promise is too much money. This promise that Mayor Daly made, or whoever made this promise, Mayor, old man Mayor Daly, not baby Daly, made this promise way back in the 60s. We don't want to make good on it anymore. And then the retirees have to hire you to go to court to fight to get the city to pay make sure make good on his promise and Rahm Emanuel saying I'm not doing this he's going to fight you he's going to have his city lawyers in court right. they would be better off in Medicare well and they could have the city could have put these people in Medicare we have annuitants who said let me pay into Medicare but they did not have that option the city in order for them to part to be Medicare qualified from their quarters, the city would have had to contract with the federal government, and it would have had to pay what every other uh, employer pays. They would owe all the money back paid that they didn't kick in for all those years. However, those contracts, the city could do it still. What a city. But <laughs> chooses not to. And, and what you're talking about is the most vulnerable, most expensive people because frankly our annuitants the last core the last group of annuitants who are not in the medicare program Mm -hmm. you know i can i can 
name. I'm, I'm like the third call usually after their doctor tells them they have kidney cancer and or pancreatic cancer or liver cancer. And then they tell their family and then they call me up and say, you know, I don't have the coverage. What do I do? I mean, that's that's not right. I agree with you 100 percent. And this is why I began by saying I'm, um, I'm usually going against my own financial interests. I agree. The city made a promise. I retrospect Monday morning quarterbacking. I don't think it was a promise that the uh, city employees should have accepted. They should have just gone under Medicare like everybody else. But the city made a promise, and we have to make good on that promise. And I respect some of the older people like cops and firefighters and clerks for the city and what have you. I, I agree with people you. People who work down the street in trucks, I got them all. Yeah. And um, you have police officers too, right? Oh, sure. Yeah. And so uh, now, do I understand this correctly that you're saying that now uh, city employees are in the Medicare program? Did I understand you correctly? They Anybody changed? who began working for a local government agency after or on April 1, 1986 or later has to pay into the Medicare program, as does the city. City. Okay, so so uh, anybody uh, who's hired before 86 uh, is not eligible for Medicare. Right. I get you. And so it's so over time, uh, obviously, as nature takes its course, the number of... Right. Of, and there, uh, are plenty of, there, yeah. there are plenty of people, um, police and fire, many of them have outside stuff that outside jobs that, ah. that did get them qualified. But the core group that really are hurt by this are the municipal and laborers people because they did not have the outside. Yes, like a firefighter. A lot of firefighters right. have second jobs. Right. All right. And, uh, or not a lot, but some do. I don't know how many, what percentage. Now, Mayor Rahm was very proud of the fact uh, that he forced some health cuts on these retirees. And I recall uh, that at some point, uh, some well-to-do uh, contributor or supporter of Mayor Rahm either called him up or sent him an email. Right. Fran Spielman broke this story. Great right. story by Fran Spielman. Uh, this gentleman, I forget his name. Let's just say his name was Jones. Can't remember his name. Uh, sent Rahm an email saying, "You're gonna be too easy on uh, 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 teachers or whatever. You can be harder and tougher. All right, I want you to be more like me. You know, mean-hearted. Right. And whatever. he bragged in his and email Rahm, that Rahm he like, had... "Are you kidding? No one's been tougher or retires. I mean, the guy's bragging. He's like." Kicking old people in the teeth. Come right. on, Clint. What kind of mayor is that? That's just, and, <laughs> that. That was that was pretty shocking. Yeah, and uh, my guess is that uh, Fran Spielman learned about that email from. No, was it from you? Did you get that email? Or no, came, somebody else. It might have been BGA or somebody yeah, else somebody had done had closed, an FOIA yes, request but, for his his private emails. Yes. And uh, it was a great story by Fran Spielman. All right, now uh, so. So what had Rom? What had Rom done that earned him the ability to brag uh, to uh, this, this? Oh, well, in two thousand, so mid two thousand thirteen, mm -hmm. we're coming up to, and the settlement is going to expire. And so I said, it's time to do, to negotiate a permanent resolution for these people. They deserve to know what the future is like, and you know, let's sit down. Instead of sitting down. <laughs> They sent a letter, I think it was May 15, 2013, that said, we're going to extend the benefits of the settlement for the people who retired before August 23rd of 1989, which is the effective date of the first Korshak settlement 30 years ago. We're going to extend, we're going to recognize those people's right to 
the deal for life. And, and they said at first um, 50% um, and then, then they said, then they tried to backtrack it to up to 50%, which is like, if you say, well, I'll give you up to 50%, I could do it down to zero. We made them stay with at least fifth with at 50%. 50% of healthcare costs. Of healthcare so costs. So if you had a, a doctor's bill, $500, the city said it would pay 250 and then you had to pay 250 out of pocket. Right. Okay. Right. And for those people, but those people are the, the oldest group because yeah. they're all the people who retired in 19 and by August 23 of 89. So you can figure that if they're at least 50 something in 1989, they are. 80-something oh, now. Wow. What a tough guy. Stuck it to those geezers. Let me ask you this. Well, but the, for those guys, they got a decent deal, although they still should have been subsidized by the pension fund subsidy, which we're still fighting for. Anybody who didn't, who hadn't retired by August 23 of 1989, they said, we are going to phase this out and stop paying for retiree health care entirely at the end of 2016. And the pension funds, which previously had well which had a statutory obligation to provide and subsidize once the city said we're no longer providing it they said we're not even going to pay the subsidies and so we're now getting the subsidies back for those people for the 2017 and 18 they're starting to get them this month and next month all right let me just point to a, a little interesting uh Contrasts, if you will, between how the city of Chicago under Mayor Rahm interpreted contract law. Now, I'm no contract law lawyer. I'm not any kind of lawyer. But I do know this. When we talk about the parking meter deal, a contract's carved in stone, my friend. A contract is a contract. It's the most fundamental precept of our United States government. And we have to honor that contract. That's what they say. But when it came to a contract with the old geezers used to work for the city of Chicago, you patrolled the streets of the city of Chicago, put out the fires for the city of Chicago, you know, passed the papers and, the, and took care of all the municipal dealing and deal. Uh, the contract is written in sand. Do you get what I'm saying? We yep. reserve the right. To, am I correct in my interpretation of Mayor Rahm's attitude about contract law? I, I agree. I couldn't have said it better myself. Uh, <laughs> I should have been a lawyer, Clint. And uh, so anyway, what's what's been the uh, has, has that case? We're been now settled? in it, we're now in in three different parts. They say we can't get paid for any of it because. The um, as against the city, it's not a discrimination case. And from if we were to get any part of what we have gotten for the retirees, that would be viewed should be viewed as diminishing their pension benefits, so that we can't get paid for any of it. So you're out of luck. Well, not. I mean, you're still know, the case is still proceeding. This case is still wow. proceeding. In addition, mm. we also have a case. We also have the claim before the appellate court that the. Um, that the statute says that the funds have to provide a plan to cover their annuitants. Mm -hmm. And so we hope that the appellate court will agree with us in that. Um, mm -hmm. In the meantime, we're hoping that the court will at least protect these subsidies that are going to be coming out over the next month or two and at the beginning of next year. We're hoping that uh, and the retirees are fully fine that if we got a piece of the bring current amounts, we're not looking for their future payments, but we do think that. And how much money has the city of Chicago saved 
I mean, Mayor Rahm was bragging to uh, oh boy who wrote him the email that he was he stood up to. The it geezers. was once. It, it was at one point 137 million dollars a year. But remember, the city's budget is three billion in the regular budget and another three billion in the special funds. So that we're talking about a very small amount and an amount that will reduce by natural attrition, and for want of a better word, over the next 30 years to near zero. Uh, did you say 137 million a year? Yep. Is how much the city is now paying, or no? Is no. What it's it's now paying. Um, I can find you that number, but my guess is it's it's probably 10 or 12 million. So it would be 137 instead. It's 10 million. Well, by now it would still be down because you know one of the things that had been done. Um, you'll recall we had a uh, a city comptroller. A guy named Amir Ahmad, mm, who is currently guy, yeah. in residence in uh, uh, in a federal pen, mm-hmm. um, and he issued this report that yeah. said that, and 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 it's on his report that the city says this was all unsustainable, blah 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 yeah. blah. But the one thing his report, you can find it buried in in the footnotes where if you actually read the report rather than its conclusion it shows that for every city retiree who is who is non-medicare is replaced by a retiree who is medicare they save two-thirds of the cost and so natural attrition if we take care of this last core group of people who are not covered it will eventually work its way down to zero yep that's what i was talking about earlier all right let's get to your final case uh the one there not your final case but the one that's most recent it broke in the i think it was fran spielman great article in the sun times yep and uh she called it a interest-free loan I remember reading this story and laughing and calling you up. We got to get you on to talk about this. So let's talk about this latest case. Okay. So during the health care case, we discovered that the city had a secret agreement with Blue Cross that it um, did not reveal and that it had pocketed, I think, one, uh, the total was $10.5 million that should have been allocated between retirees and actives. And that they had not, that there was, they wouldn't reveal what the terms of it were. We eventually were able to get it. Um, and then it turned out that there was 1.1 million that the city had just pocketed that it should have reallocated. And so we got a reallocation. And those some of those checks have gone out to retirees to take care of that piece. In the midst of that, we discovered inadvertently that the, um, in, in reading an email, that the um, that there were uncast checks, and I emailed them over to say, uh, I love the snarky comments about me, but what about the uncast checks that are mentioned? Well, with that, they I got this barrage of things, including threats on my license to reveal this. Anyway, we eventually forced them to reveal that. And it turned out that there were 8,000 uncashed reconciliation checks to retirees over like 13 years, um, totaling about $850,000 in checks to retirees that had never been cashed. 
checks for, you know, some may have been as high as a thousand, but most were in you know, an average of a hundred. Okay, but, you know, this is for 8,000 people, this is money that belonged to them, that somebody that actually the city should have turned over to the state, yeah. at least the records of it, so the state could put it on the state treasurer's website, which, um, you know, to give a credit where credit's due, or to encourage your listeners to go to either dot. IllinoisTreasurer.net, or just start typing in cash dash and it'll take you to the right place because it used to be called cash dash.net when Judy Bartopinka was the state treasurer. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in any event, how this works is that the city had just had never done this. And so we forced them, this was a big battle, but we eventually <laughs> forced them to put a thing up on the city's website and you can still find it. Uh So city retirees, you can put in your name in this box. You go to the city's cityofchicago.org website, scroll down a little piece because this square sometimes disappears below the bottom of your computer unless you scroll up. You can put in your name and find out if a check is there for you. Okay. So I figured, geez, you know, if they would hide... 8,000 checks from retirees. Mm-hmm. I mean, who hides money from old people? Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, they probably yeah. hide it from anybody. Yeah, yeah. So we made another freedom, this time we made a freedom of information request for all the city's uncashed checks. And that one surprised us even more. <laughs> it turned out that yeah. there were, um, there were 22,000 wow. checks dating back to 1987, totaling $11 million. And I guess to the city's credit, if you include only the ones that are more than three years old, because that's when you're supposed to turn them over to the state. Okay, so there's only 8 million checks to 17, or $8 million to 17 million, sorry, $8 million to 17,000 people. Right. Yeah. You know, but whatever, it's their money. Yeah. Um, so with that, we filed a whistleblower case saying that this should have been turned over to the state. Yeah. And we filed on behalf of, of two people who were in the list. Anyway, to our surprise, so a whistleblower case, just to for people who don't know, a whistleblower case has to be filed under seal. Mm-hmm. So nobody can see it right. except for the attorney general's office. Mm-hmm. Even the person you're suing isn't supposed to state see it. State attorney general, yeah. State attorney mm-hmm. general. So we filed it under seal. The state attorney general, to our surprise, comes in and moves to dismiss the case. That would be Kwame Raul, the newly elected attorney general. This time it was Kwame Raul. But the basis on which... They move, he moved to dismiss our case was, number one, as attorney general, we have the right to dismiss any whistleblower action. And number two, they said that this was already a known thing. And they cited an article in, you'll pardon the expression, the Chicago Tribune. Um, <laughs> they, an article in the Chicago Tribune from 2008. Yeah which said that this problem had existed uh-huh. and somebody else had, had sued 
and the state <laughs> was under Lisa Madigan was working uh, yeah. and was getting it corrected. Kwame, I love you dearly, baby. Come on, one article ten years ago in the Tribunal, and I'm holding my Tribune up. See, I I have a home subscription. There you go. Okay, one article in the Tribune does not mean everybody knows about this. Okay. <laughs> And I guarantee you, Kwame Raul, you did not know about this. <laughs> and who knows? His name might be in this. Yeah, maybe they owe you money. So what is it? They people the check got lost in the mail, or people just forgot to cash it, or who? What? Who knows? Who knows? You know, they're they're just twenty two thousand <laughs> uncashed checks, and and that. So the city, it's just like money that has out been allocated, but it's not cash. So checks been issued. Check hasn't been cashed. We just. Use the money until if they live and notice and notice that it's and figure out that it's there because the city wasn't by not turning it over to the state you really had no way to find out if if you didn't know I mean there there and there's there's this one string of a few hundred checks with <laughs> serial numbers that are like nine hundred in a row wild, man. Um, that are not cash well it's hard to imagine that you could send out nine hundred checks in a row and they actually did get sent out and none of them got cash that's but anyway so you know one of the it's well technically the city can't spend this money oh sure they can in other words it comes out of the, the general fund you know the general fund is like you know it's like your, your checking you, account you, at home you're right you appropriate it? money to the general fund well the way it works in my great checking system is that if i uh, write a check to clint because let's say i lost a bet to him and so i write you a check for a twenty dollars okay uh and you never cash the check all right in right. my great uh, i credit i always credit and then i get irritated okay i'm like would you cash this freaking check because my checkbook is not balanced but well it's it's more like somebody who who every month because now you can go online and see what your balance is in your checking account yes so you can go and you can see how much you got in your account yeah you know and and after a check's been out there for six months most banks won't take it that is true. They don't have to take it. And even if the city's check would be good, um, you know, the, the fact of the matter is the city really was just waiting for all these people to die. Yeah. And some of them have. <laughs> oh God, what a I mean, city. of the retirees, yeah. of the retirees' checks, even yeah. after the judge made them go out and try to find them, a third of the people have died. So what's going to happen to this? So you file the suits. What's going to happen with this? Well, we're hoping that the city, that... We're not looking for any money out of the the basic principle, but we do hope that the court orders the city to pay either the five percent per year interest that the oh interest act says yeah. on, on money that has been vexatiously or unreasonably delayed payment, yeah. um, or under the Unclaimed Property Act, if you don't comply with the act, it costs you a 1% a month penalty, which wow. is, you know, that's a better return. Either way, you know, even if, if, if we don't get paid out anything out of this case, I mean, it'd be a terrible crime. But, but really, the, the great part, we get calls from people since we put the, yeah. once the, um, the Attorney General went in and, and got a dismissal order, which we appealed. Yeah. Um, he the judge also unsealed the case. So then we refiled it as a 
as a regular class action on behalf of all those people. And we put the list up on our website at www.chrislovelaw.com. And so anybody can go out there, can go on our website and look. And See if you have a check outstanding. It, see if you have a checkout stand. See if it's checkout stand. You know, I already looked for myself. I'm not in there, so I got no checks. But in there the are city. places like Hull House, which I guess closed for lack of money. Yeah, and they they have a hundred thousand dollars. And Commonwealth Edison, I remember Fran's story. I think they were like forty something thousand dollars. That was just for one check. They got lots more than that. I, I but, don't know how Commonwealth Edison doesn't have better uh, bookkeepers. But to then there's track. other people. The YMCA. Yeah. Um, they have. Oh, I don't know, $50,000. And you can look it up under, it's... it's. So it has the city of Chicago sent its lawyers in the court to fight you in this, or is it just Kwame Raul fighting? Well, it's just Kwame Raul so far. The city has responded saying that it's not obligated to follow the state law on this. And one of the things we've done, because we started a thing at Chicago Kent College of Law Mm -hmm. um, called the Center for Open Government Law Clinic. And um, so... We're analyzing whether the um, whether the city under its home rule powers, mm-hmm. when it hasn't enacted a conflicting obligation for itself, or whether it has a has a right to give itself a pass on whatever the state otherwise requires. But here, where they haven't passed any law in this respect or mm-hmm. ordinance, whether they have whether they can avoid. Uh, complying with the state law. So that's the current project for our All right, and I, I, the city will start fighting it if a judge rules uh, that the city has to pay interest on all this. So, for instance, if it's a 5% interest uh, compounding over all these years on a check that to Commonwealth Edison for $40,000, that's going to add up to some serious change. You know what? It, it's not even... Com- Commonwealth Edison's a big boy. They should... They, they, should be able to keep track of their stuff. I mean, they certainly keep track of mine, you know. But it's yeah. the people that the people that that make this really worthwhile yeah. are. You know, one woman called up and she said, "You know, I went to I, I heard you on the radio. Yeah, I went to your site and I found a check for two hundred twenty dollars from nineteen eighty eight. Wow. Mm. And so, you know, this Did is. Did she get the money? Well, she's. We're we're going to find out. We have sent a demand for her money and for about a half a dozen others over to the city to say, you know, let's start. Have they responded? Not yet. Not yet. Wow. I don't know how they can get around making good on a check. Uh, I'd work, that'd be interesting. I could see them going to court to fight you. I don't know what. They'll have, look, man, don't take this the wrong way, Clint. I've said this many times. You can find a lawyer to make up any old argument, okay? That's what lawyers do. They come up with legal arguments. See, I don't know if I agree with you. Feel free to disagree. 100% on that. Proving I my point. You can find a lawyer to come up with any there argument. There you go. <laughs> well, I, we, had a, we had a committee meeting with a judge uh-huh. who said, um, you know, people sometimes spin things in a different way than I than I relate to them. I like to see it as a lawyer says, here's the right and just thing that should be done. And the law allows me to do that, which I thought, 
I mean, to give credit to John Lee, yeah. that was his statement, and I think that that was very right. impressive. I, we have a segment we do with another lawyer, uh, Jim Coogan, where we, I throw to him different challenges today from the, the law world, the world of law, from the newspapers, okay? So, for instance, we had a long-spirited discussion about how uh, the difference between a will and a trust and how it applies to Jeffrey Epstein, okay? And so the, the title of that segment is, How Is This Legal? All right? And the answer is, is if you could find a judge to buy your argument, it's legal. And it doesn't make it right. Uh, it, Fair enough. You know, in, in a government, in a, in a country based on law, you know, it's, it's who gets the laws written and, and how, who gets insured, who interprets them, which shows you how important it is to focus on things like who's going to be a judge and who who you're going to vote for for a judge, because those are like the least things that people focus on. But as we know from a lot of stuff going on in the news today, it's who selects your judges that Absolutely. Tell you how you're going to be treated. If, and by the way, if you didn't, if folks didn't learn that with uh, Brett Kavanaugh and the Kavanaugh hearings, you've learned absolutely nothing. All right, Clint Crystal, if we've come to the end of this segment, just one more time, give folks the uh, w- uh, the address, the internet address they can go to if they want to see if there's a check outstanding. Okay, it's www.chrislovlaw.com. That's K-R-I-S-L-O-V-L-A-W.com. I guess I could have... Spelled it more easily, but but I was born with that name, so that's your name. That's my name. Uh, it's better, easier than mine. Jarofsky, look at that one. Uh, anyway, Clint, thank you so much for coming in. I really appreciate it. Uh, I'm Ben Jarofsky, and that's the end of another Ben Jarofsky bonus. Take care, everybody. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 